Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Yeah. What's it's why point? people, you know, they have bad experiences hiring their yeah. first assist virtual assistants yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. executive assistants because they just kind of want to just pass everything off yeah. and not take the time to let that person learn and mm-hmm. maybe also Outsourcing doesn't mean that you don't know what's going on as a business owner. Outsourcing means you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly what you want and you have well-defined it. And you're simply passing off your vision to someone else that's clearly defined to execute. And I I think a lot of people miss that. You know, they just go, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to hire this out. But then they're disappointed at the results. Well, what do you expect? Nobody knows your vision. (laughs) Nobody owns, nobody's going to run your business better than you are, you know? Exactly. And then number, your number one job is sales, right? Like yeah. that is your number sure. one job as a business owner. And if you're not in tune to what your customer needs, mm-hmm. you're yeah, not going to make much sales. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think um, because I'm not a specialist, so to speak, right? Like I'm not an engineer. I'm not a, a marketing person. Um, with me being a generalist, my skill set is more meta. I have to be very good at learning, which is kind of ironic because apparently I have learning disabilities, <laughs> which is kind of crap. Um, but, you know, we, we, we wanted to go deep on the affiliate side, built that out. Um, want to have amazing customer support and success, built that out. Um, marketing as a whole, SEO and paid acquisition, built those out. Um, you have to, and again, this is a difference between building a business in a, in a company, in my opinion, you have to be willing to do the things that kind of suck to, and get good at them before you can hire somebody, depending on what the role is. Like if it's an engineer, I'm not going to go like, study engineering and then you're right that's different but but your general admin you know kind of stuff that are non-technical you got to figure that stuff out and i think too many business owners or or company owners even get stuck on that point we're like oh like you're told oh you're you're the founder you shouldn't be doing that just hire somebody it's like yeah that sounds good in theory but the moment you start doing that and you don't have enough knowledge in that specific subject to call crap you're screwed you don't have to be an expert but you have to have a, like, I have enough knowledge on SEO to be able to tell if somebody, if somebody approaches me with a correct strategy or a crap strategy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, have you to, don't have, you to, have be, to be at the level. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. I think the start of this conversation on replic pricing has been <laughs> incredible because there's so many people that are building their businesses and are running into these roadblocks and are wondering, is this the right thing for me? Is it okay yeah. for me to leave my wholesale business that I've built and start a private label? Is it okay for me to get into a service-based business? You know, is it okay to go back to school? Is it okay to go back and get a job? Is it, you Mm -hmm. know, like all those things. And and I love that you've been through all these uh, things. And I think a lot of people are going to find it super inspiring and um, it's great. So speaking of repricing, most of our audience is a private label audience. So we don't really know other than yeah. If you change your price a lot on Amazon, you lose the buy box to yourself, even if you're the only seller. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, yes, you do. You, If you change your price more than 2% of the last buy box oh, price at a time, sure. then you will Amazon will put you in the other sellers category and you will actually get kicked out of your own buy box. It's Amazon's <laughs> buy box. Sure. So, um, you know, I always tell my private label clients mm-hmm. like, hey, Set your price that you want your price to be, and then just use the sale price box for everything else. Because mm-hmm. then you can sure. up, down, change it as much as you want at any yeah. time. Um, but 
when it comes to repricing, you actually have, Aura is a software that constantly changes a price because you are sharing a listing with many, many other sellers, right? Yep. And so right. why is it important to be able to change your price quickly and effect effectively? Yeah, so it's hard for a lot of people that have only done private label because they're like, what do you mean you share? <laughs> you, or you have to compete for the buy box, like I just have it. So for, for anybody doing RA, OA, or wholesale, um, you're having to compete for, for the buy box, right? And the way we look at it is 82% of organic sales are gonna come through the buy box, period. So a lot of sellers are like, oh, I'll just list it and it sells where it sells. Eh, not a good, good decision there, especially as you're scaling. And so you have this problem where you have a high volume of competition, um, both in volume of it, but also in like frequency of it. And, and what I mean by that is you have a bunch of offers that you're competing against, a bunch of different sellers, but also a bunch of sellers that same amount changing their pricing and trying to win that buy box. The whole goal is get in the buy box, increase sales volume. If we do that, awesome. I can move my inventory. And I'm sorry, but Amazon is not a flipping game. It's not eBay. A lot of people try to convert from eBay to Amazon and it's a different mentality. It's a different game. It's high volume. And so because of that, the way I look at it is your Amazon business is a, is a compound equation, right? So compound equation, I would rather take a little less ROI, but compound that at a higher frequency. So when you're looking at an Amazon-based business, um, and this still works with private label, but you know I focus more so on, on the resale side. Um, if I can list that inventory, get a decent profit, get my capital back and redeploy that multiple times in a month, that's better than doing it once. Again, basic compound equation there. Um, how do we do that? that? That's where your pricing comes into play. <laughs> so um, as you grow, it gets to a point where you just cannot physically do it. It's not even worth your time, right? So like right now, a prime example, Aura costs $97 per month, regardless of how many uh, SKUs you have repricing. That is a penny per hour kind of job, right? But still you will have some sellers that are like, oh, I just manually go in and do it. Okay, one, not a good use of your time, period. <laughs> and then I've had some sellers say, well, I'll just update all of my listings to the current buy box price once per day. That's fine, but guess what? We are making changes to listings every five minutes in some cases. Competition here matters tremendously. It, it's the difference between, and the way I look at it based on our data, if you take a seller who's never used a repricing tool on their inventory, on their account, and you just enable repricing, typically 40% increase in sales volume. That's insane. Compounded over time, that is a massive business. <laughs> so- right. Especially if you have a lot yeah. of SKUs and you're, you're selling a lot of different types of products. And yeah. sometimes when you get into a product, when you're doing wholesale or retail mm -hmm. arbitrage, when you get into a product, the time frame in which to sell out of it is very short. The opportunity yeah. before it gets either saturated with other sellers or right. you know it's seasonal, something like that. So you really yep. need to make sure that your buy box time is effectively yeah. utilized. So 100%. how does Amazon view that in terms of pricing? Like how does that work? Yeah. Like if so, you had to do Aura manually, how would that oh work? <laughs> yeah, um, it, that's physically not possible at our scale now. Um, now, what does Amazon want? They, you know, we're not the customer. We have to keep that in mind, right? A lot of Amazon sellers think like, oh, well, they should be nicer to us. Like, but you're not the customer. So you're the supply side. Um, they want a low offer. 
That's how you increase sales, basic economics, right? That's, their, that's been their business model. You can get it in two days and it's a great price. However, they make money on the referral fee as a percentage. So they don't, they don't really want it too low, right? It makes sense. Um, so they like a lot of activity. I can prove this too. So prime example, we had a seller who was 20% private label. She's like, I, I got them in the Aura account because we import you know, all the, all the SKUs automatically. She's like, is there anything we could do? I was like, I don't know. Let's, let's play around. I've never tried. So Aura has this feature where um, if there's no organic price change in three hours, we just force your price up by a penny and immediately take it back down. Just keep the data flowing. So it's like, you know what? Let's put, let's toggle on repricing, but put no strategy on there. So you're not moving around. And just so I can only have that three hour trigger happen. Let's see what happens. We did that for a few days and we actually increased sales by like two to 3% which was interesting. I was like, okay, that's not that impactful, although it could be depending on how, how much volume you're already moving. But it's signaled to the fact that Amazon likes activity on a listing. Kind of makes sense, right? Logically speaking. Um, and that can be a snowball though, right? If, if, you're, if you're having a, a listing that, that's getting kind of stale, we, we put that on there. We get a little bit of activity that we can control. That then turns over into sales, which increases the, the BSR. Maybe now it's good, right? We could theoretically save a listing in that case. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So regardless of what's going on there, we need activity. You can do that manually, absolutely. How does Amazon view repricing as a whole? They seem okay with it. You know, we were kind of talking um, offline before we started to record. Uh, we had to go through like a full like security audit, like, because we got large enough and uh, they approved us, like we're good. Like they know what we do. Like, you know, repricing as a concept has been around for so long. Um, I think they appreciate it because if you look at a marketplace, it's economics, right? You have supply demand and you have an equilibrium. So to just say, I'm going to list that 70 bucks and just leave it there until somebody buys it. That's kind of too simplistic, right? Like that doesn't really work. And so by having a bunch of people, you know, from a macro standpoint, shift and flex more so you're flexing that buy box, right? You're going to shift it up and down. We're big fans of what's called the oscillation strategy. An oscillation is just a wave. It goes up and down. If you look at an equilibrium, that's typically what it ends up doing, right? Supply is going to increase, decrease. Demand theoretically is going to you know, increase, decrease in parallel with that. So what's important there is that's kind of what they want. You don't want a stale marketplace where things are just static. It doesn't really work. So no, even on the, absolutely. You know, it, it totally makes sense, especially where people are sharing the buy box on a single listing. Yeah. So can we talk about, general pricing strategies in terms of, <laughs> yeah. you know, because this is something that we private label sellers, I'm always getting questions about this. Yeah. Like, oh, sh what should I price it at? What should I price it at? Sure. And like you said, it's not a good strategy to just put it out there for 70 bucks and hope <laughs> yeah. that it sells. It's sure. the same thing in private label. If you're selling a cup or mm -hmm. a ceiling fan or whatever yeah. product it is, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The bottom line is you want to have a competitive price in your market yeah, sure. or you're not going to sell well. And some people yeah. are saying, oh, well, you know, I can put it in a really nice package and it can be, you know, just, it can, the branding can be just primo mm -hmm. and, and it'll sell for $30 more. Well, it depends on the product. It depends yeah. on what, how the customer views it. So have you done any research on pricing in terms of you know, you know how like Walmart always does 97 or, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Target, Target does like weird, there's this like 92. 
um, yeah. you know, the end of, you know, 997 or, um, and then targets like 992. And I remember I used to work yeah. for target, um, and they would send us over to Walmart and we would go and look at the prices in Walmart for some yeah. major stuff. And then we would always make sure that we were like five cents less. And mm -hmm. so it even works across retailers. Sure. They, this is a strategy. Repricing is a strategy yeah. that is often <laughs> yeah. used. You know, right. so it's it's not so strange to think about it, even in a private label world. Mm -hmm. But what would you say about pricing in general? Um, when people sure. are thinking about how to set their prices, um, mm -hmm. is there a psychology behind pricing? And yeah, yeah, there there definitely is. So so one, there is psychology behind pricing, but it's not exactly what you think it is. So a lot of people promote the the you know ninety seven kind of thing. Listen, we like words pricing ends in a seven for a reason. Um, the seven is not what's critical here. It's because it stands out and it's different. It breaks a pattern. So 99 was the thing. Then people got used to it. Pattern Patterns get updated, right? We adapt as human beings. So we go, oh, that's normal now. Then we go to 97, I'm like, oh, that's kind of different. Well, that's gonna repeat that, that same loop, that same cycle, right? So 97 becomes super normal. Then it's like, okay, well, let's try 92, right? Oh, that stands out even more. Then it's gonna be 94, right? Um, you know, the, the general pattern there is as long as it's not like, uh, you know, it's not um, in increments of five, you're pretty much good. <laughs> like a three looks more, you know, out there than a five does. Likewise, a two versus a five, four versus a five. That, that's, that's a very general thing. And does it work? Yes. Does it work dramatically? No. Like it's just a nice kind of catch thing. Here's what's important. I'm not a private label guy, but, you know, a lot of my background is obviously business and just, um, high level strategy, I would say. Let's talk about defining private label. Here's where people get caught, in my opinion. People go, I do private label. My, defini my definition of private label is that you are building an actual brand. There's a difference between private label and white label. White label has existed forever. You take a product, you don't change anything on it, you put your logo on it, white label. Yep. Different. When you do that, you are not increasing the value of the product. Nope. Therefore, you must compete on price, right? Now it's a race to the bottom, basic economics. Where I think people get stuck is staying in that ballpark. Where I think people need to get more into is not the, the short-term, oh, well, well, there's a big opportunity in mugs, so I'm going to go ham on mugs. Okay, but what's the LTV? Let's talk about lifetime value. I'm in SaaS. We talk a lot about the lifetime value of a customer. The higher the LTV, the more I can pay to acquire that customer, which means I can scale. Let's talk about that from a product standpoint. The life cycle, the full life cycle from when you are able to start selling it to when you have to stop selling it, what is that value to you? You're trying to maximize that over a long period of time, right? Which so is why I do higher... unique products. Thank you. <laughs> so what has a higher LTV? A product you just threw, threw a new label or sticker on for your brand. Nope, that ends in a race to the something bottom. <laughs> 100%. Or you take something, you iterate it, you take feedback. We talk about feedback loops, right? If you want to get into the proverbial garlic press um, and you go and read all the reviews, you actually make something better and then you launch it. The LTV is higher, right? Here's the thing. When you, when you get down to pricing, pricing is a, a secondary thing to the quality of the product. Otherwise, everything would just compete on, on, on price, period. Doesn't yeah. make sense, though, right? Why, why are some, um, why is a Mac dramatically more expensive than a PC? 
<laughs> lifetime value. Correct. Quality. <laughs> Correct. Yep. You know that it's right? not going to die 100%. In, in two years. You're still going to yes. be able to use that computer for a long yeah. time. So the whole, I'm just going to make the brand be perceived a little bit higher does not last. Sorry. You actually have to build and create a amazing brand and more importantly, an amazing product. When you do that, now you can charge premium. People don't understand product strategy or product mix strategy. These are, listen, I know being an Amazon seller feels like a new thing. It's not, it's literally an old school business model. <laughs> like, and I keep telling people, learn and read things outside of this world. Go read how Walmart did, did you know, early pricing experimentation and, and stuff like that. Start thinking through a lens of, what are some brands that stood out? Nike, great example. You know what they make? Shoes. Shoes aren't expensive. Literally covers your feet. Why do people spend hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars for a pair of Nike? Could you replicate that strategy? But could you, could you replicate that thought process with your products? That's what's important. And I think you need to understand who you're serving. So yeah. a lot of people, a lot of Amazon sellers approach this, any business model on Amazon in a selfish manner. Yeah. It's what do I get, right? What, they what just makes look at the me? product and they go, there's an opportunity right. there. Ooh, yes. that person's, this other brand over here is making Correct. this much revenue every month. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm just going to copy them. It's and promo. when it doesn't yes. work and I sit down, I've sat down with a lot of these sellers. Yeah. I go, okay, wait, you didn't actually study anything about that brand. Mm -hmm. Why they're getting all those sales outside of Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. And how much trust they have with the, what does their online footprint look like? How yeah. much trust they have with that customer outside of Amazon? Uh -huh. All you looked at was that revenue number on Jungle yeah. Scout or yeah. Helium 10. That's all Correct. you looked at. And you said, I can sell that product. <laughs> sure. Anyone can, but not yeah. anyone can connect with the customer and build an actual brand. Yeah. And that's why I'm never worried about, you know, the Chinese mm -hmm. competitors. A lot of people are always worried about the Chinese. Well, they don't build brands. They just put products on the market. Yeah. Right. And so, so, so here's a different perspective on it. When you approach it that way, all you're looking at is how much value can I extract? False. Switch it around. How much value can I provide? Here's the difference. When you are actively trying to make a group of people's lives better, the customers, you do well. And I'll, I'll explain it in a really interesting way. I am selflessly selfish. I want to make money. I'm a millennial. That's cool. But like, I'm not in business just to do good. I want to make money. I, I do. Right. Like I, I want to exit a business for a hundred million dollars. But if you're just selfish, you lose prime example. I've had users or, or potential aura users reach out to me via email, say, Hey, here's where I'm at with my business. Should I sign up for aura? I already know what you're going to say. And I go, no, I don't think it's a good fit right now. Like, seriously, you don't want my money. It's like, it's not that I don't want your money. Here's my thought process. If I tell you yes, and it's actually no, the likelihood of you churning, leaving the business is very high. And let's say I keep you for three months. Now you're pissed because I told you something that wasn't true. And I only got 97 times three. Yeah. The lifetime of, of you as a, as a human being to me. It's not really good. Instead, I go, you know what? Wait, now's not a good time. Here's when it would be a good time. You come back in six months. So I didn't make anything for six months. You sign up and you stay with me for three years. I made more money. I made more money by actually caring about you <laughs> and, and doing the right thing. And guess what? Because I told you no, and everybody else told you yes, even though you know instinctively it was a, it was a no, you're gonna respect me more. 
and you're going to like me more. It's called building a brand, right? Yeah. So when you are selfless, you get the output that is selfish once, right? Like I made yeah. more money in that situation. And, and a lot of people will get that wrong. A lot of people go, oh, short-term opportunity, you know, the keywords and blah, 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 I can make money. So for how long? Two months? Right. It's not really anti How long before the competition right? comes in and 100%. you're absolutely drowning in that product, yeah. right? And it, there's nothing yeah. wrong with making a quick buck. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But again, like what is your goal over your lifetime? That's yeah, and, and awesome. unfortunately, you're just not going to build a scalable. And I, when I say scalable, I mean like millions of dollars with yeah. a bunch of short-term kind of things. You are. doesn't work. I completely agree. Scalability is so, so, so important. And that's why I always, you know, whenever I'm talking to people about their margins, I look and say, okay, well, how scalable is that? Like, yeah, yeah you're making a little bit of money, but every time you have to order new inventory, yeah. you're digging back into your pocket and taking more <laughs> loans. That's yeah, not scalable. Like yep. and before you know it, the life cycle, that product's going to be over and you're going to be left with yep. no money. And it's just yep. not, it's not a way to do business. So Correct. It's, it's awesome that you, we've had a really great, just general, like get, dig into whatever yeah. it is that you're doing and yeah. do it well and do it for the right reasons mm -hmm. and you will be successful. So yeah. I'm so happy to see that you're in a new office. Like Thank I said, you. you're, you're, um, you're, you're what I, you're me when I grow up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, you know, that's so great to see you, Dylan. And thank you. Um, yeah, likewise. We appreciate you so much for coming and visiting us. And those of you who, um, who are wanting to check out a repricing strategy. So are you still doing a podcast now? So we started welcome to growth. We put a pause on that. It was like a little experiment. We were starting a new podcast in like a different world. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, it's kind insane. of stealth mode right now, but uh, we, we have some big plans um, as a company. So we're kind of teeing up some stuff here. Um, like we were talking about before we started recording, um, we're about to hire like three people. We're about to double the size of the company, at least in terms of headcount. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be insane. Whether people are looking for a job or they're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or they're just wanting to say hello and see what Dylan is up to and what Aura is up to, where can they reach you? Yeah, so if you're looking for a repricing tool, definitely reach out. Um, it's goaura.com. Um, feel free to talk to, to either me or Finn who, who manages support day-to-day -day now. Uh, happy to answer any questions. If you wanna keep up with me, I'm not really a uh, social media kind of person, unfortunately, but uh, I do have a blog, dylancarter.com, D-I-L-L-O-N. Um, I post every now it's literally like nerdy how-to stuff so if you're really into some nerdy stuff check out the blog if not i, I would avoid it uh, <laughs> and then on the wholesale side you know um, wholesale made easy is the first podcast all that stuff is evergreen it still works it's sequential so you can start from like okay here's high level how we approach things and then get more granular and detailed over time um and yeah i would say that's that's pretty much the gambit right now <laughs> and if, I mean, you've already given tons of great advice today, but um, what books and stuff are you into right now? Oh, yeah. like what's motivating you? We always ask sure. people this question. Yeah, um, I went through a phase of speed reading because not a lot of time. And then I kind of flipped it. I was like, I'm going to read slower, but more in-depth kind of a thing. So uh, I'm really obsessed with decision-making right now as we're growing, um, as my, my responsibilities shift 
less on the execution and more like high level strategy and making decisions. Um, I'm spending a lot more time learning about mental models. If, if you've ever heard Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos talk, a lot of times they're talking through using mental models. So there's a few books I'm looking at right now, Principles by Ray Dalio is fantastic. Um, and then there's another book, I forget the subtitle for it, but it's um, Mental Models, something, something, thing. It's a red book <laughs> written by Shane, uh, Shane Paris, or Parrish of fs.blog. And actually, honestly, just go to fs.blog. Um, that entire site is some hardcore mental models and like how to literally think in a very intelligent way. So uh, I would say start with those two. Um, I honestly, I have such a laundry list of books. I don't even know where to like, you'd have <laughs> well, to throw I me a subject. I think it's awesome to focus <laughs> on some mental models. So I think, yeah, yeah. I think people will love that. And um, I'm definitely going to check out fs.blog because I love yeah, to challenge this oh, old noggin as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again, Dylan, for being here. And everyone, thank you so much for listening, rating, reviewing. You guys voted for us in the seller poll. That was incredible. Uh, you know, we just appreciate you guys so much. So um, thanks so much for being here. And we'll see you next time on the Seller Roundtable. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at SellerRoundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.